Where they were poor in Mombella, they were really strong at Ellis Park. So they looked at what South Africa did, they broke it down, they analysed it, and I've got a feeling that Jill played a pretty big hand in getting them to that point. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. We're turning our attention to the drama at PSG, joined on the line by the French sports broadcaster and writer Julian Lorenz. Good morning, Julian. Hello, guys. Infinitely fascinating for us to watch on and watch the various social media clips, obviously, that emerged from the action last weekend between PSG and Montpellier and uh, the Mbappe stuff particularly. He's obviously been given, and it's very much on the record, but spoken about this uh, great sums of money and great power, Julian, by the club. Is what we're seeing on the pitch now almost a natural reaction from someone who is who basically now views themselves as a serious power player in the club in terms of all aspects of the running of it? Mm. Uh, or is that too easy an explanation? I think it's a bit of both, probably. I think he was grumpy before the game started anyway. He had a, a tough week, from what I was told, off the, with all the field stuff. Uh, like personal issues and, and things like that. So I don't I don't think he was in a good mood anyway. And I think the, the penalty gate like made that mood even worse in the sense that he's officially the number one penalty taker. Neymar is the number two penalty taker, the second one, which means that Neymar takes the pen only if Mbappe is not on the pitch anymore or if the foul was made on Mbappe leading to the penalty. The thing is, Kylian missed the first penalty and then 20 minutes later when the second penalty happened, for another handball in the box, so nothing to do with Mbappe, not a foul on him, and Mbappe was still on the pitch. When Neymar took the ball to put it on the spot, everybody knew there was trouble because Neymar himself knew that he should not be taking that penalty. Kylian knew that even if he missed the first one, technically he was still the number one penalty taker, mm. and that should have been his. And Neymar knew it as well. Neymar pretended when he spoke to Luis Campos and Christophe Galtier that he was a bit confused, number one, number two, one penalty, second penalty to take. All of that, he knew exactly what he was doing. You saw the little sort of chit-chat between them two. And and in the end, we knew as well that Neymar would not give the ball away and that he would take the pen. And he's a better penalty taker than, than Mbappe, that's for sure now. The stats, the stats prove it. It just adds a bit of the drama already. We're only two weeks in the season and the drama is there already. I don't think Neymar liked the fact that Kylian was be given all that power now that he's the main guy, now he's the leader. Uh, and I don't think Mbappe liked the um, the sort of issues that Neymar has brought lately, like, you know, being late, timekeeping, those kind of stuff. I don't think Mbappe thought that was professional, especially last season under Pochettino. So I think there's a bit of baggage there and clearly the tension is there between them two. How much of this is on the back of the new contract that Kylian Mbappe agreed to and some of these terms that we've heard associated with the contract in terms of increased importance in the training ground and as some dramatic people may say, you know, becoming de facto manager in the dressing room. How much of a factor has that been in what we're seeing early this season? I think Neymar has been surprised. That's certainly what I've been told. He was surprised and I, I bet, but I don't know for any single, every single player in that dressing room, but I would think that he's not the only one to have been a bit surprised by the amount of power that Mbappé has been given. Again, the, the power is not written you know, black and white on mm. the contract or on a piece of paper. It's not, you know, Mbappé has to give a green light for transfer. It's, it's not like that. But everybody knows that the club and with Campos especially, more than Christophe Galtier, really, because the, the relationship with Campos is like, is very, very strong. They, they've, they've known each other for a very long time. So, especially Campos and Mbappe, everybody knows that he would be consulted 
on on a lot of things. So yeah, I think I think that probably didn't help already the relationship between Neymar and Mbappe that was really close, super close at the beginning when they both moved to Paris in, in the summer 2017. And they kind of drifted away in the last couple of years. I think just that added a bit to the gap between them because Neymar didn't really get why at 23 years old Mbappe would be given all that power. Um, we've just been discussing the All or Nothing documentary before you come on there, Julian, and it strikes me, having watched some of it, that like, you know, in a club, a functioning club um, like Arsenal, where that sort of thing would appear on the pitch, the manager is going to be, you know, pulling those players in afterwards and there'll be deep conversations about it. Like, I, how does all that unfold for Galtier when, uh, in the context of everything you've just spoken about in terms of the Mbappe contract? I mean, Galtier is tough. You know, Mbappe signed the contract before Galtier arrived. Mm-hmm. But I think Luis Campos had a pretty strong idea that he would bring him in but the, the Mbappe the whole Mbappe story and and the finale of it and that incredible twist that he was not going to Real Madrid but staying in Paris was done way before Christophe Galtier was appointed but Galtier is tough Galtier is a hustler you don't you, you can't you can't you can't like not respect what Galtier is doing in that dressing room if you're a player I mean because he's tough because he will see you on the bench there's there's no doubt Okay. so I think I guess uh, you know if we, if we take a lot of the managers even the managers that were there Unai Emery hated confrontation Thomas Tuchel didn't like confrontation either Marcio Pochettino even worse so I think if there's one guy that has been at the club in recent years on that bench that actually I think he even even relish the confrontation because it's a way of, of you know, showing the group the discipline and his authority is Galtier. So Galtier is tough. What was interesting is on the Saturday, straight after the game against Montpellier in the dressing room, it was Sergio Ramos first who brought Neymar and Mbappe together and the room and said, okay, I didn't like why, so no one liked it. This is not acceptable. Then the next day, both Galtier and Campos also took them both in, in their offices to say, listen, you know, what was that about? So... I think before, and certainly we saw that in penalty get one between Neymar and Cavani, that neither Unai Emery or Leonardo wanted anything to do with it, uh, or Antero Enrique, sorry. And, and the difference is that this time, Luis Campos especially took them and, and, and yeah, they didn't say anything. You know, they, they, he, Campos was really strong on them, like he should have been. Was, was, was that before or after Neymar started liking the posts that were being uh, critical of Mbappe? No, after, after, because that happened. Okay. That happened in the night between Saturday and Sunday. The 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 Campos and Galtier kind of meeting with them both was on was on the Sunday afternoon, and Campos said to Neymar, "Don't do that. You know, don't social media. You know how dangerous it is. You know that everybody sees everything. Mm-hmm. So don't, you know, just don't do it. Be a grown up kind of thing, and be be the great player that you've you've been so far. Because Neymar, that's the other thing as well. And Mbappe missed the start of the season, the first two games, the Super Cup, and then the the first the first Liga." Weekend, he you know he came he came back against Montpellier having not played a single like competitive game for three weeks for example since his last friendly. Neymar on the other in the in the other hand on the other hand in that in that time was outstanding for PSG the best the best player by far better than Messi who was really good but still Neymar was above him. So there was also that I think to to, to take in consideration in the whole story. And then you have the like obviously the power play of Neymar's alliance with Messi and probably Ramos, and then you have Mbappe on the other side. Um, does the the conversation that you're talking about with Campos and Galtier has that just drawn a line under it? Do you expect Julian from here, uh, or does that uh, are the battle lines actually now properly drawn and we haven't seen the last of this? That's what 
both Neymar and Mbappé say. That's what the club says as well. Um, I, I think the egos are too big anyway. Not, not just between them two, but I think in general in that in the dressing room. And I think there, there will be more stories. I'll be back on the show and we will talk about more drama, which I think is fine. I think it happens in, in a lot of clubs. Um, so, but they all know that to win and to win big, to win the Champions League and everything, they, they all have to pull in the same direction. Even if they don't, they're not all great friends and they're not all brothers and this and that. You've got the leadership in that dressing room. I think we start with with someone like Sergio Ramos, who is not, he's not closer to Neymar and Messi than he is to Mbappe, for example. I think he's very intelligent in the way he kind of, he kind of runs the dressing room a little bit. Um, mm. But then, yeah, of course, you've got, you've got little groups there and there. Hakimi and, and Mbappe, for example, are, there, there's a big bromance there, like Messi and Neymar, of course, and, and, and others. But yeah, I think it's something that Galtier and Campos and Sergio Ramos and Marquinhos, who's the captain, but maybe not, the most vocal of captains, but certainly still the club's captain, have to keep an eye on because especially Messi, Messi is, is more chilled. Messi, Messi doesn't really care so much about egos and stuff like that. All he wants to do is play football and play well. But between Neymar and, and Mbappe, maybe a bit of Icardi there, there, there's a few that where the drama can come from. So I think they need to keep an eye on it. Yeah, Ramos could be the uh, could be the hero in all of this. One thing that struck me, Julian, on the the one of the clips that was going around from the Montpellier game was you know the throwing of the arms up in the up in the air. Yeah. You didn't pass me the ball, and now I'm out of this move. But actually, like PSG were pressing up the pitch and were moving into a really good position. And if he had continued his run, he could be properly in the mix. Is there any sense that um, this stuff is going to impact on his game? I mean, like I know a lot of it obviously comes down to an unanswerable about whether whether um, the line you know that that is the end of it and and like ultimately they'll continue to dislike each other but just carry on with understanding that there's a job at hand but it did strike me that he had sort of down tools and had given up the opportunity to contribute to a positive yeah. goal scoring chance what's your sense of how much this can impact on his game it'd be interesting to see if he does it again for example uh, and I saw it straight away I didn't even need the clips that then went on social media and went quite viral I, and I know him so well that sometimes he can be like that. Sometimes I think there's that in him. It was just before the break. Like we said, he hadn't, he hadn't played for a while. He missed that penalty. By then he hadn't scored his goal. His goal came in, came in, a, in the second half. And, and I think there was, there was a, you know, maybe a, a feeling of like, of, you know, I've had enough of this first half. This is not good. And when Vitinha, I think the ball from Vitinha to Messi, it's not, it's not a bad ball. You can easily play that ball. I think the ball to, to Mbappe, is the ball to, to is the right ball to play there, and I think that's only what annoyed Mbappe, because I think Vitinha is, is is so good that he can easily play that ball, and then Mbappe is through, and then he's one on one and etc. But the ball to Messi is not a bad ball either. It's not like if he tried a double step over nutmeg and then lost the ball, and then you could have said, "Oh, come on, man." Mm. So I, in a way, I, I see what Kylian, uh, you know, I could see what Kylian did, and I, I can imagine how he felt on that moment. But again, things like that happen a hundred, maybe not a hundred times, 50 times in a game. So it's about decision making. Sometimes Killian himself makes the right call, sometimes doesn't. You know, and, and if people go mad every single time he, he makes the wrong choice or the wrong pass or the wrong movement, then, then it's endless. So I think he will know that he messed up on that one. He's the first one. I think he's quite critical to himself in a certain way. So I'm, I'm hoping that him or his dad would have said, come on, this is not, this is not acceptable either. 
there are some similarities with uh, the the malcontent, I suppose, that's maybe uh, uh, going on at Manchester United at the minute, obviously, with their uh, very high-profile, well-paid well player who it seems they're trying to get rid of uh, with Ronaldo um, and not having much success at the minute and not a huge amount of clubs that are uh, can necessarily come and take him. Any developments on that, Julian, as you understand it, or um, with a couple of weeks to go, uh, the likelihood of it happening in, in your view? Well, I think it's... You can always have a, like a final day of the transfer window, August 31st, uh, kind of denouement and then the ending. And he finds somewhere a bit like he did last summer from Juventus to United. The problem is the list of teams in the Champions League and, and we still have some that haven't qualified yet. So maybe if you're a Rangers fan or a PSV Eindhoven fan, you know, fingers crossed, if you qualify, he might come and, and offer himself to you because that's pretty much what he's done with every single club in the Champions League this season. Or, you know, so I find it incredible that a player of his calibre, one of the greatest of all times, is like offering himself, well, via his agent, but still, to pretty much every man and his dog. And, and I, I find that sad because of who he is. And I think he should be enjoying the last few seasons of his incredible career and enjoy that legacy and all of that, not being like scrap, scrapping to find a club because he wants to play in the Champions League, because he wants to score a few more goals just in case Messi tries to catch up or someone in the future like a Haaland or an Mbappé overtake him in the, in, you know, as a record holder, goal scorer for, in the Champions League. I find that <coughs> incredible. So the latest one was Dortmund. There is no way he's going to go to Dortmund. Like why, I mean, why would Dortmund sign him anyway? Like he doesn't fit their philosophy, the club that they are. It's just the way everything, everything yeah. is... So maybe Atletico Madrid and Diego Simeone, but again, on that one, I would find it really sad that even Cristiano himself is ready to play for the arch rivals of Real Madrid, where he's, he's the, well, okay, one of the legends there and one of the greatest players of the history. And now he's ready to, to go to the arch enemies just to score two or three more goals in the Champions League for his own tally. Uh, again, I find that really sad. Like, obviously, the complete debate around Cristiano Ronaldo seems to centre on the, the the goals versus you know are the goals actually worth it given what, what he's contributing to the system but like really if you listen to Gary Neville on Monday Night Football and you zoom out and look at the entire list of players that Manchester United have bought like he did make the point that this has become a graveyard for talent and I can I don't, I'm not sure which side of the debate to come down on and which side is right but you can definitely empathise with the view that the club has not been good for Cristiano Ronaldo as much as Cristiano Ronaldo may not have been good for Manchester United and I wonder Julian are, are clubs around Europe potentially thinking that way as well where they're maybe going back yeah. a further season and thinking look at Juventus Ronaldo he was pretty good in the Champions League that's the guy that we could potentially get in and, and, uh, and give us a kick in this year's group stages or beyond? I, don't, I mean, the, the, the good Cristiano Juventus was, was still a while, you know, it's, it's not that long ago, but I'm, I, and it was, they were playing in a certain system. Like, basically, I think the only way you can play him is a front two. And let's be honest here, none of those clubs really play with a front two. I mean, you can play, again, and if we go back to Atletico Madrid, yeah, you can play off Joao Felix, but it's not really a front two. Joao Felix is not a, you know, another number nine that can play alongside Cristiano. I think Cristiano needs maybe a Morata or needs like a proper number nine next to him. And also, or, I mean, the, the the thing is the lack of intensity in his game anymore and especially off the ball, the lack of running and the lack of pressure. Last season, he was the worst of all strikers in all the big five leagues in terms of pressure per 90. I mean, that means the guy at Trois ran more than him, like pressed more than him. You know, the guy at 
I don't know, in uh, Cadiz, in Spain. I mean, do you see what I mean? The guy uh, who went down in the Premier League, uh, Norwich. That means he was the striker that ran the press the less in the whole of the big five leagues. So if you're, if you're I don't know, any kind of forward-thinking manager that wants his team to play high and press and counter-press, why would you want him? Mm. What, for a few goals? Yeah, of course, he will always score at least 15 a season, maybe 20 a season, because he's the greatest finisher of all time. So he would always finish. If, you, if the service is good, he would always finish. Remember the volley away at Spurs last season in, Champions League, uh, in the Premier League. Amazing goal. The movement, his positioning, the finishing is great. He will, that will never leave him. But yeah. for the rest, why? Like, he, he, I'm not sure collectively you, he can fit in, in many systems and many so formations that right now the top clubs in Europe have. Even a Dortmund, even a Sporting. Okay, people say, yeah, the dream, maybe he can go back to Sporting and finish where he started. If you're Ruben Amorim right now, Cristiano doesn't fit in anything you've been doing for the last three years or two and a half years. And Ruben Amorim is one of the most promising young managers in Europe. And right now, if you put Cristiano in that team, it, it would not work the same way. And all the success that they've had under Amorim, because he's not, that kind of, he's not the player that fit that system. And I don't think he fits in many systems. And that's the problem. Mm. So I don't know what will happen. Um, he might stay another season at United because, there's, because he's got another year on his contract. And if no one wants him, he's not, he's not going to, you know, they're not going to pay him off. And then he stays without a club. And this is it. This is the end. There's a World Cup in three months and he doesn't want it to be the end. So he will have to find a way. Because he's one of the greatest footballers of all time as well, he may end up scoring a Monday night, and uh, you know suddenly the people who yeah, make a course. case for him will be like, uh, "We can we can hold on to this guy for a while," which disregards all the points that you've just made, which 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 isn't right, I don't think. Just finally, before we let you go, Julian, on that game, do you expect it to go with uh, with form the way everybody expects it to go? I mean, maybe not exactly like last season went, but uh, win for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fascinating. I don't know if Casemiro could be registered on time. I think he's, right now he still looks. Difficult to do because there's still quite a long way. Well, not a long way, but there's a way to go for the transfer to be fully done and then for him to be able to be registered and, and play. I don't know it's the kind of game that you want Casimiro to play on his debut, um, but I think he would certainly have that team because he will, he will improve it. Whether you think he's a short-term, you know, he's, whether you think it's a crazy move for him and for United because he's 30 years old, he's still better than what they have. So he will improve them. I don't know if you're Ten Hag, how you approach that game. Do you go super defensive? Do you, do you keep this, a similar team than what we saw against Brighton and, and Brentford? But then you know that there's a huge risk that you're going to get battered. And if you're Liverpool, you need a reaction anyway. I don't know who's going to play, who's going to be the third one up front with Salah and Diaz. I don't know if he, if he start a Carvalho, for example, which I would really like to see. But maybe this is a, again, too much of a big game for Carvalho to, to have his, his first debut in the Premier League for, for Liverpool, so I don't know. I don't know how you address that if your club. Uh, and for that, the Darwin red card is a, is a huge blow. But I think it's going to be fascinating. I think this one will be open. I, I don't think United under Ten High can just sit back and defend. And and if they want to do that, I don't think they're good enough defensively anyway. I expect Maguire to be dropped and Varane to start with Lisandro Martinez, and then we see for the rest. But I think it's going to be a fascinating encounter. And right now, it's it's hard to not see Liverpool winning it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No matter what uh, selection they go with up front or anywhere else, almost at the minute. Yeah. Julian, uh, really interesting stuff. Pleasure as always. Thanks, a million. Thank you, guys. OTB AM with Gillette. 
Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 